welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Did anyone watch football over the weekend? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, who's the best team? Who's the best team? I put you on the spot. you got to answer. What do you mean? Packers? Packers? Anyone else like the Packers? One Packer fan. Seahawks, Chiefs. Thank you. All right. It's ironic I didn't hear a single Bears fan out of all of you. Either, either there's none in here or you're just really ashamed. One of the two. They're ashamed. All right. All right. I respect that. I respect that. Well, I'm a Vikings fan. And though I've had... I've had many years of disappointment as a Vikings fan. At least my team played the playoffs this year. So, just throwing that out there. And it's too soon. And it's too soon. All right. Let's get into this. If you have your Bible, open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, the first page. It's an easy one to find. Even if you don't know the books of the Bible, page 1. I know, some, sometimes, you know, struggle counting one. We got it. I think so. Genesis chapter 1. Thank you, Daniel. The reason that I mention I'm a Vikings fan is because I want to share a little bit about one of the gifts that I got when I was 10 years old for Christmas. It was a very special gift, and it was something that I loved and cherished. It was a life-size sticker of the Vikings quarterback, Brett Favre. <laughs> it was a giant picture of Brett Favre with his helmet on, with his jersey on. He's in, like, throwing motion. And it was a sticker that you could just put on, like, the wall. And so I took this giant six-foot, two-inch sticker of Brett Favre and stuck it right on my wall, right next to my bed, so that every night I came in and was like, yeah, there's Brett. There's my guy right there. I loved walking in my room and seeing that. And it definitely did scare my mom more than once. You know, the lights would be dim and she'd like see eyes on the wall looking at her. She didn't like it as much as I did. (laughs) But what I appreciated about that giant sticker more than anything was how realistic it was. It was as tall as Brett Favre. It wore the same thing as Brett Favre. It looked like Brett Favre. It was not the same thing as having Brett Favre pinned to my wall. That would be illegal among other things, but I love that it bore the resemblance of him. It was an image bearer of the real image of the real Brett Favre, and it bore that image um, because it was made in his image. So when, whether you care about football or not, I just cut out. Okay, good. Whether you care about football or not, or have any idea who the heck Brett Favre is, it's ultimately irrelevant, so don't feel like I'm not talking to you tonight. But it leads us into what we're going to be talking about this evening. That giant sticker is only appreciated because it is made in the image of someone that I appreciate it. Being made in the image of something 
is not only value is only valuable if that thing resembles something that's also valuable. Do you know that you were created in the image of God? You were created personally by a personal God in a fashion that resembles him. And something that's made in the image of God is a very special title. Should I just go without this? Am I cutting out? No response? Good, okay. (laughs) Talk to me, talk to me. God did not make the earth in his image. God did not make the angels in his image. I'm just going to turn it off. God did not even make the greatest of all animals, man's best friend, dogs, didn't make those in his image. The title made in the image of God is a class of creation that is exclusive only to mankind, to men and women that God has formed in his image. Now let's look at the passage that we turn to for our biblical proof of this. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 26. Follow along with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is God's word. So, question for you. What are some of the ways that you think of that you were made in the image of God. What are, what are some of the ways that you bear God's image? Open question. Answer. What are some of the ways that you bear God's image? Any ideas? Anyone, anyone brave enough to say something? How do we resemble God? What's a way that we resemble God? I hear some mutterings. Yes. We have the ability to think. We feel emotion. Yes, that's right. We feel emotion. We think. How about this? We have relationships. God has relationships within himself and the Trinity, something we learned about several weeks ago. There's three primary ways that I came up with of how we share God's image, how we bear God's image. Um, we, in the garden, Adam and Eve were given the capacity to love, to show compassion, to execute justice, to walk in holiness. All of these things are traits, character traits that God has, that he imparted to us. Um, man and woman in the garden were also given authority over all creation. Look back at our text. This is what it says. It says, Adam and Eve were to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock of the earth, and over every creeping thing. So he's basically just really covering all his bases. Over the air, over the water, over the land, and over everything else, if you could think of anything else. And it's to show that man was created to have dominion, to take ownership over all creation, to rule over it in the same way that God rules over it. And thirdly, um, man is created with the ability to communicate with God. That's the picture that we see in mostly in Genesis chapter 2, but then in Genesis chapter 3 is that man walked with God and he knew him personally, like the same way that we know our good friends, except to a greater degree. But that is a mark that... God has placed upon you, upon your souls, that separates you from other creation. And it makes you an image bearer of God. And we've already begun to answer tonight what it means to be made in the image of God and where it's found in the scriptures. But I want to spend the bulk of our time tonight going over three practical reasons why it matters. 
What are the implications of me, of you, being made in God's image? What does it do for us? Well, point number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. It gives a basis for inherent, big word, value. It gives a basis for inherent value. Inherent is I-N-H-E-R-E-N-T. What is inherent value? Well, inherent value means it's a value that something already possesses within itself. It's not dependent on how useful it is or how helpful it is to you. It has value of its own accord, of its own right. Have you ever heard one of the phrases, you matter, or you are worthy, or you are valued, or you have a purpose? Know your worth? How about that one? Phrases like these are common in our culture today. I've certainly heard them. I'm sure you've heard at least one of them in your life. You probably hear them on TV, radio. You definitely hear them on social media. And they're popular sayings because they combat a feeling that is popular within us. Feelings of hurt. Feelings of inadequacy. That we're not good enough. That we're not valued. And no matter how good we seem to be doing or what our appearance makes, us, makes other people think about us, we all struggle with a sense of insecurity within us. And that's the truth. That's something that every single human being will meet at some point in their life. Am I really good enough? Am I really valuable? Why do I have worth? Do I have worth? Right? So I took some time to research what our world's experts have to say about this. Why do we need to hear these things? Why are they good? Why do we need to know this? And Kimberly Miller, an author who has a doctorate of psychology, been in school for a lot, of, a lot of years, a lot more than I have, studying the brain, studying the mind, prescribed a few helpful tips for us to remember in order to reinforce that you have inherent self-worth. She says you should keep a journal of positive quotes that remind you of your self-worth You should only surround yourself with positive people, a positive support system. And she said, also, you should develop an attitude of self-compassion. So when you do something wrong, the response isn't to say that it was wrong, but it's to say, no, you're you're okay. It's okay. I, I don't need to worry about it, right? Dr. Miller says that you have an inherent value, and you're supposed to know this inherent value, and that you should dedicate your life to reminding yourself that you have this inherent value. Oh. What's her basis for it? How does she get there? Why does she make that claim? What separates a biblical worldview from a worldly, from a secular worldview, is the basis of that value. The world says you're valuable just because you are. It's not really a defense. And there's really no defendable position on this if you believe in evolution. If you believe that you're here today because a clump of cells came together and was formed and grew up into this creature evolving from an amoeba to a fish to a lizard to a monkey to you, right? That's what our world tells us. The problem with this is that if you've been created by fortunate but accidental alignment of cells, your life has no more value than this rock right here. This rock also is a conveniently aligned clump of cells, Should I tell this rock that it has dignity? Should I tell it that it has worth? That it's valuable, right? 
It's okay, Rock. You're valuable to me. <laughs> Does it need to keep a, a journal of positive quotes to remind it of its inherent self-worth? <laughs> See, there's no differentiator from an evolution perspective of me versus this, right? So you need to speak just as kindly to this rock as you do to me. It's funny, but it's important to think about. It's important to think that God created you with an intention. It's important to know that God created everything with an intention. And he created you to be his special creation, to be his image bearer. You have great value to God since he breathed the breath of life into you. That's an account that's not seen anywhere else in the Bible. And it says that you don't need to turn there, but it says it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's interesting language. <laughs> breathed into his nostrils. Can you imagine someone blowing into your nose? Right? Gross. But it does that to evoke a picture that it's personal, that it's close, that it's intimate. You see, when God created everything else in the universe, he just spoke it into existence. Could he have spoken you into existence? Yeah. But instead, he he stooped to us. And he put his hands on us and he breathed into us. And that is how we were formed. There are accounts of this throughout the Bible that speak to the level of love that God has for his creation of mankind. David in Psalm 8 is leveled when he looks up to the stars and he, and he thinks about them and he says, these are so big and vast. And yet God created them so that I could see them and glorify God, so that I could enjoy them. Read Matthew chapter 6. It talks about how Jesus is saying, look at the birds of the air. They don't ever worry about food. They don't ever worry about clothing. They have all that they need. Do you really think that you, his special creation, he can't also take care of? Read Psalm 56 and know that God in heaven looks down on us and keeps count of our tossings in bed. I love that. It's just such a sweet picture. When you're up at night, you're thinking about something, you're distracted, you're sad, you're anxious, whatever it is, God knows. And the verse continues to say that he bottles our tears. Such a cool picture. That God is collecting those. That those tears that are shed in the dark that no one sees, God knows. And he sees them. And when I hear this, it makes my heart soft. Because God is great. He has formed the stars with the breath of his mouth and he feeds every creature on earth continually forever. And yet he cares he cares for me. He cares for you. Do you know this God? Have you experienced this God's goodness? Have you tasted that to be known by God is to be loved by God? And to be loved by God satisfies the deepest void in your heart for worth, for value, for dignity. All of those things are quenched in God, not in the things of this world. What else does being made in the image of God mean for us? What does it do for us? Well, point number two, it confronts our sinfulness. It confronts our sinfulness. Being made in the image of God confronts our sinfulness because it reveals that we're bad image bearers. Here's some examples of how God is unlike us. God is righteous. We are sinful. He remains the same yesterday, today, forever. 
We change our minds all the time. The things that are true about us today were probably not true about us yesterday. We're changing. We're evolving. God has never set out to do something that he hasn't accomplished. And yet our plans and purposes almost always seem to go awry. Not according to our plan. God is kind to all people, even though he knows that many people on earth hate him and don't care about him and never will. God's still kind to them. And yet, we only really want to be kind to the people who are nice to us or who like us or maybe the people that we want to earn their like or their affection or approval. God's reaction to sin is hatred. But our reaction to sin is to coddle it, to hold on to it, to feed it slowly, to feed it insignificantly so that we can justify doing the right thing. But in reality, we're just trying to give an appearance of godliness while doing what we really want while satisfying really the internal desires that we have. And when we look in the mirror of the image of God, the image of the one that we were made to be like, it can fill us with shame. It's humbling to take an honest survey of our lives because we know that we are not quite good enough. And you know that. Even if this is your first time ever walking through the doors of this church, there is something within you that tells you something is missing. That there's a hole, there's a void that needs to be filled. The whole world knows this. Why do you think that words like you matter or you are valued are so common? It's because it's addressing a problem that's so common. Because it's universal. Everyone experiences it. There's something within us that demands settling. And the Apostle Paul talks about this thing in Romans chapter 2. He talks about the Gentiles who are not God's people and they don't have God's law and they don't know God's word. And yet they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts and their conscience also bears witness to them. It says their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That's Romans 2 verse 16. Translation, even the people that don't believe in God or know him or have a personal relationship with him have a sense of right. Prime examples. Stealing, murder. Generally accepted across every single culture in the whole world. Those aren't right. Right? Where does that come from? It comes because God has written on your heart morals, values. Granted, these are marred by sin and affected by things that we've done and things that have been done to us. But there's a sense of right and wrong within every single person. And this is terrifying sometimes, frankly. You feel the need to hide the parts of yourself that you don't want anyone to see. You feel conflicted because you know that there's things that are right that you should be doing that you aren't doing. So what do we do with this? Well, the world's answer to calm this troubled conscience is to change what you tell yourself and to not listen if, to people if they say anything else. It says that though you're not perfect, you're good enough. And you need to continue to convince yourself that this is true in order for you to believe it. And that's going to settle you. And then you'll be happy and you'll be content and you'll be satisfied. But that does not address at all where the issue arises from. And it certainly doesn't solve it either. This is like spraying perfume on a dead body. Right? You might mask the scent for a little bit, but soon the rottenness underneath will be revealed. What does God's word say? 
It says that this feeling and these thoughts come to us because we were made in God's image. We were made to have fellowship with Him. And the solution to this internal churning is not to deny it or to mask over it, but to confess it. The solution actually begins by agreeing that there's a problem. This is the same thing that a healthy person never seeks a doctor. Why would they need a doctor? Right? But a sick person does because they understand that they need help. It starts with agreeing that something within you desires something that you should not desire. That's what the, the Bible identifies as sin. Well, what does this look like? How do you do this? What does confession mean? Well, it means you pray in your heart that God would reveal your sin and that you would see it. That you would see it the way that He does, which is wicked, detestable. He wants it as far away from His presence as possible. And agreeing with God about your sin. Remember that confession is not informing God that you have sinned. Okay, I think sometimes we can kind of enter into a prayer like that of, I need to tell God that I've sinned. God already knows that you've sinned. He knows everything. Okay, but confession is about putting ourselves, our heart, in a position that agrees with God. That says, I'm not good enough. I need something better. It confesses that... That we will feel vulnerable in that instance, but that we need help. And that's what we need. We need to confess that we need help. What else does being made in the image of God do for us? Well, it points us to our eternal home. Point number three, it points us to our eternal home. So where do we sit? We know that. God has created us to be image bearers. We bear that image, but we bear it in a fractured or a broken way. So what do we do about that? How, do we, how are we restored? What does that look like? I love God's word because it nourishes me and feeds me when I'm down or sad or need encouragement. And one of the verses that has done that is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Just write that reference down. And it talks about the, the hope that God gives to believers, to his children. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being changed. Do you know that? Do you know that when you put your trust in Jesus, he will change your heart? He will take a heart of stone like this. This is what the Bible says is in your heart when you're born. A rock that's dead. That needs resuscitation. It needs a, a defibrillator. And he gives you a heart that beats for him. And he gives you new desires and new passions. But it's hard because we fall away from those. And we still sin. I'm a Christian. I sin every day. If you're a Christian, you sin every day. If you're not a Christian, you still sin every day. But you just don't agree with it. You don't confess it. But the good news is that we are being made like Jesus. We are being transformed into the same image, into the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit working within us. God is telling us that the image that, is, that we have has been distorted and fractured by our sin, but that it's being put back together, that God's restoring it, that He's making it new, that he's fixing your broken heart. And God has a redemptive plan to save the lost and the wayward and the weary. And to conform them into the image of his son. 
And it should comfort you to know that God draws near to those who are low. It's the opposite of the world. The world says if you're high, people are going to come to you. If you're, if you're at the top of the food chain, if you're Mr. Popular, Mrs. Popular, then people are going to come to you. God says, I despise the proud, but I regard the lowly. And he leans towards those people. So don't ever fear being made little in God's sight, because he will raise you up at the right time. And we can praise God for that. He draws near. And how sweet it is to rest at night knowing that your every need has been and will be met by God. What a great antidote to the poison of anxiety that's within our hearts. To know God cares for us. He's looking out for us. I hope you see that human beings are inherently valuable because they've been set apart from everything else in the entire universe as God's chosen and favored creation. But being merely an image bearer on this planet is still comparatively a little thing. There is available to you, even tonight, a greater joy than this. A greater joy in life than just in knowing that God made you. There's more. When we put our trust in Christ, the sin that we agree and confess to is placed upon His shoulders instead of our own. And when we recognize that we are far from God... Because of our sin, we are brought near to Him because of His blood. When we see ourselves as lost and helpless without God, we are just beginning to follow His perfect guidance and rely on His infinite strength. It is okay to be weak before God. In fact, it is a good thing. It is commended by God. Because God's Word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that in our time of weakness, God's grace shines all the more. Being made in God's image gives the believer even more hope for the next life. Why? Because we know that the work of sanctification in our hearts will one day be complete. Amen. God will finish the work that He has begun in His people. And we remember that while we're on earth, these present trials are not worthy of being compared to the weight of the eternal future glory that is coming. And I have joy when I think about the throne room in heaven where God the Father sits looking down on the earth. And when I sin, I feel like I can't, I can't be in His presence because sin separates us from God. But I have an advocate, and His name is Jesus. And He stands before the Father on my behalf. And He does to all those who put their trust in Jesus. I have one that took my place on the cross and he takes my place now standing before a holy God interceding for me forever. For every sin that I'll ever commit, God is interceding for me. And this is available to you. If you trust that Jesus is Lord and Savior, the sin that continually drives a wedge between you and him that seeks to corrupt everything in your life and left unchecked, will destroy your life. Will be restored. And the corrupted heart that is always seeking sin, that you want so desperately to be rid of, will be removed. This should fill you with hope. The Father will look at us, believers, as we enter the gates of heaven, though disqualified by our sin, though we have no right to be there, We have no merit 
of our own, though he knows the filthy rags that we have earned by our deeds, though he has witnessed every single act of defilement you have committed against him. Every one. There's none that he's forgotten. He will not see our sin. He'll see his son. See Jesus in you. Because you've been joined to him by faith. And instead of casting you out, which is what you deserve, say, welcome home. Say, come home. Son. Daughter. Come home. Just as was designed from the beginning, all of creation will be restored. And I want to leave you with a verse that speaks to this. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to these words. Let them give you hope. Because the end is in sight, believer. Your life is short. Eternity is long. Be encouraged that even the suffering you face will one day come to an end. Here's what Revelation 21 says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be their God. Please, just listen. Listen to these words. You don't need to pack up. Just listen to these words. Because they're a comfort. Do you know that God will wipe away every tear from your eyes? That there will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more pain because these things have passed away. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of a lot of things in this life. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of pain. I'm tired of people dying. I'm tired of sorrow. I'm tired of crying. <laughs> I'm sure you can feel that. You can resonate with that. Because our lives are broken and they're made for a better home. Be encouraged tonight to know that that is coming. And God will look at you and He will wipe the tears from your face. And you will be with Him. That is our hope. Let's pray.